Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of Colossians. To the New Testament book of Colossians and Colossians and chapter number three. The book of Colossians and chapter number three. We're walking through Colossians and it has turned to be a wonderful book. I've had more than one person say that this is moving up to one of their favorite books of the Bible just because there's so much into it. Now the simplistic idea of Colossians is that we keep our eyes on the Lord. When we keep our eyes on the Lord, we can't be deceived. When we keep our eyes on the Lord, we're going to do what we're supposed to do. When we keep our eyes on the Lord, it solves so many different problems. Now, the way that the Apostle Paul usually writes is that the first couple chapters are doctrinal theology. They talk about uh, bring us to keeping our eyes on the Lord. And then the remaining chapters deal with because of what we taught you, this is how you apply it. This is the practical. This is the everyday life. And we're going to see that through the rest of the book of Colossians. In fact, tonight we're going to see, let the word of God dwell in you richly. But the one that I wanted to tell you is that on Wednesday, we're going to see from the book of Colossians, what God's blueprint for a happy home. God's blueprint for a happy home. There's a lot of homes that are not happy. Amen. Well, let's come on Wednesday and from the book of Colossians, see what God's blueprint is. Now, does God know what he's doing? Yeah. Can we trust him? Yes. So let's see what God's way is and follow God's way. And so if you, if you have an interest of helping your home, then come on Wednesday. And let's see what we could do to encourage and help and see God's blueprint for a happy home. But for today, let's examine the book of Colossians for ourselves in chapter number three. The book of Colossians chapter number three, and if you don't mind, let's start at verse number eight. The book of Colossians chapter three, starting at verse number eight, the word of God says this, but now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, Malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man hath a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so do all also, or so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase 
uh, two phrases actually that is filled in this passage here. We see the first instance in the beginning of verse eight, put off, put off. In verse number nine, we see put off. Verse number 10, put on, put on. Verse number 12, put on, put on. And then verse number 14, put on. And with this, we're going to examine these two passages, put off and put on. Put off and put on. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you today, we're just asking that you would give us grace and that you would give us understanding, that you would give us mercy, that you would keep our eyes to be upon you. And because our eyes upon you, that we understand what we are supposed to do practically in this life as our eyes are upon you. This is a very practical, helpful, everyday message that we could put in our daily lives. Help us to understand it. Help us to perceive, discern, and then see how we could do, put, make some changes that we'd understand the principle that you're teaching us here. Lord, I dare not trust my own and I understand my own limitations. So the best I know how I surrender myself to you and ask that you fill me with your spirit, that you could get your own work accomplished through your wonderful people. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in the previous passages, we spoke about that we have to keep our eyes on the Lord. And then on Sunday night, we spoke about that if, or rather on Wednesday night, that if we keep our eyes upon the Lord, our practical application is to be filled with the Spirit. And we spoke about what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit and keeping our eyes upon Him. Now let's get practical about it, about what do we do about keeping to deny ourselves, to mortify our members, understanding that our flesh must die. What does this mean? Well, when we come to know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, the Holy Spirit, who is, in, who is God, comes to live with inside of our heart. And we now have two different natures. Anybody who's saved understand you have two different natures. What are your two natures? Well, you have the old man. The old man didn't, didn't change. That means your ability to sin. Guess what? When you got saved, you could still sin. That's probably one of the first disappointments you have as a Christian. I could still sin. Man, this didn't go away. I could still mess up. I could still disobey my folks. I could still get angry. I could still have bitterness. That nature didn't go away. What changed? Well, the Holy Spirit, who is God, comes to live inside of you, and He gave you a nature that's now different that wants to be pleasing to God. And He wants to honor God. And these two natures hate each other. It is a war one to another. That your old nature does not want to obey God. It does not want to follow God. It doesn't want to die. And it knows that the more that you try to follow after God, the more that it's in danger. So it's going to keep you from following God. Why do you think you have such a hard time reading your Bible? Isn't there something inside of you that said, I want to read my Bible. But when it gets time to read your Bible, your old nature is like, no. What can you think about other than reading your Bible? Facebook, La La Land, do-do-do-do-do, clouds in the sky, it's hot in here. Your flesh starts interrupting everything because it says, I don't want you to read the Bible, but yet you have something in you that says, I want to read your Bible. And you get frustrated saying, I want to read my Bible. How come I can't read my Bible? Right? I'm not the only sinner in here. This is what we deal with. We have two natures. 
You have a nature that says, I want to go to church, man. I love church. But then you have another nature that says, I don't want to go to church. Forget that. And you're like, all right, I'm ready to go to church. But your old nature's like, uh, uh. <laughs> and it fights you the whole way. And it's trying to give you an excuse where you finally say, I'm just not going. And it goes, oh, finally. And you're like, I feel relief now that I'm going to church. Yes, because you were in a war and someone won. <laughs> you have two natures that are inside of you. This is why the Bible says you got to mortify your members. Because as long as you're in a war, you're not going to be at peace. A decision has to be made. Am I going to follow after Christ or not? You know, it's amazing there, to watch people over the years. There are so many people that struggle with going to church and they hit and miss. But when they finally make a decision, I am going to go to church no matter what, there becomes a great peace over them. Why? Because they've won the battle, the flesh. It may try to poke at them a little bit, but when there's a decision made, there's a relief made. By the way, I've seen it on the other side when they say, I'm no longer going to church. All of a sudden there's a great peace. Why? They're no longer at war. They've made a decision. But as long as you're on the fence where your spirit is saying, I want to obey, and your flesh is like, nah, uh you're not going to be at peace. You're going to be at war. This is one of the reasons why making a decision in the Christian life is a big deal. When you don't make decisions, you're going to constantly be fighting. When you say, I'm going to read my Bible no matter what, your flesh will try to provoke a little bit. But if you've made that decision and going to stick with it, your, your flesh loses that battle. And it becomes easier to read your Bible until you start slacking in that decision in your mind and your flesh starts getting back in. You understand this is how the Christian life works. And we're at war with each other. And it's fighting with each other. And how do we deal with this? Well, as we are learning to live in the new life that Christ has given us, there are going to be things from our old life that we're going to have to put off. That's what the idea of putting off is. It's like you take off clothes, you put it off. And then there are things that as we're following after Christ, we put on. That's the image that's being put on here. I put off the old life. I put on the new life. This is the image all the way through here that you're trying to get across that you should have in your mind. I have things in my old life I put off. I take it off. And there are things in my new life I need to put on. So what are these things that we're supposed to put off and that we're supposed to put on? Now, both of these ideas of putting off and putting on carries the idea of habits. Meaning that if I'm putting it on, I'm developing the habit of putting on the things that I'm supposed to. If I'm putting off, it's carrying the idea in my life practically that I'm developing the habit of not putting that in my life. I'm taking it off. And every time it shows off, I take it off. And every time it, I take it off. And every time I'm supposed to do something, I put it on. I'm developing the habit. We take off the bad habits and we put on the new habits. We're putting on old or putting off old soiled clothes and we're putting on nice, fresh, clean clothes. We're putting off and putting on. Let's examine this a little bit more. What are we to put off? What are we to take off? The first thing here, let's just examine here. Now, 
no one was born with any evil habits. Do you ever think about that? All the bad habits you developed in your life, you developed while you were alive and purposely put in your life. No one was born with bad habits. We had to put them on. So just like you put on bad habits, you now have to take them off. The Holy Spirit provides us the power to do so, to be able to break those habits, to drop those habits, to get rid of those things that have been ingrained in our life. We have to do it on purpose, but we can put them off with God's help. Notice if you don't mind, as we examine here, what we're to put off. Notice these, verse eight. But now ye also put off all these. So here's the list. Number one, anger. We are to put off anger. Anger here carries the idea of habitual anger. The settled anger that makes some people so difficult to work with and it makes them lash out on anyone who offends them. There are some people who just want to be angry. They're in the habit of being angry. Now, it may not be all the time, but it may be dealing with that one person, that one circumstance. They're just angry about it and they won't let it go. What are you supposed to do with it? Take it off. Put it off. Put off anger. You say, I can't. I know God can help you though, but you can't just let it sit there. You have to purposely do something with it. What do I do with it? Well, when you get angry, recognize first of all that you're angry. God, help me to deal with his anger. Help me to take it off. Help me not to be angry anymore. Each and every time you're developing the habit that every time you see it, you take it off. I see anger again. Take it off. When you see anger, take it off. This is a habitual anger. There are some people that are just always so angry. It may show up as bitterness. It may show up as something else, but it's based off of anger. They're just so angry. Well, because of this new nature and the Holy Spirit helping us as we're keeping our eyes on the Lord, God can help us take it off. But now he also put off these anger. Second is wrath wrath. This is that boiling of a hot temper that's in a sudden range. There are some people that have a temper. It doesn't take much for them to boil off. The Bible says to take that off. Take off that wrath, that boiling temper. If you're someone who loses your temper quite often, there's something spiritually wrong. It is a spiritual problem. And by the way, God can help. And by the way, your pastor's willing to help too. But you have to take that off. You can't just keep that on there. Uh, sometimes people come excuse. That's just how I am. What you just told me is that you're not willing to work on it. God can change who we are if we depend upon him. We should not be at the people that fly off the handle just from every little thing. If you are, by the way, that's old nature. It needs to be taken care of. And if you keep your eyes on the Lord and follow after him and ask his help, he could help you to take that off. Every time you see that wrath, every time you could feel that, that water boiling, he could help you take that off before you blow up and snap at someone. What else are we supposed to put off? But now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice. Malice has the desire to harm people. This is someone who nurses grudges against someone. 
There are some people, maybe you, that just plan people's deaths. You just want the worst to happen to that one person. You have a grudge against them and you will cheer loudly if they ever fall. If they ever mess up. You'll be the first to dance on their grave if something was to happen to them. Don't be a person that nurses. That's the old man. We need to put that off. The desire for harm to fall upon someone. Notice it goes on. But now put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy. Blasphemy here carries the idea to slander, to detract from another's reputation. If I blaspheme someone, it's the same as saying we're gossiping against someone. God hates gossip, by the way. And it's easy to, to get in a conversation with someone and be able to talk about someone else. That's gossip. By the way, that's old nature. Our old man likes to gossip. We love to hurt someone's reputation by talking to others. You know what so-and-so did? You won't believe what they did. This is hilarious. We enjoy the misery of others. We need to take that off. That's the old nature. That's not the new nature. That's the old nature. And we need to take that off. Notice this. But now ye also put off all of these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. This, of course, covers foul and obscene speech. There, Christians should not be people who curse. I had someone try to say, hey, let me teach you a course about when it's proper to curse. For a Christian, it's never proper to curse. Never proper to use foul, obscene language. By the way, it is never proper to use racy or, or descriptive sexual, sensual language either for a Christian. Those are things that should not be part of our vocabulary and should not come out of it. You say, how do I know if my communication is filthy? Can you tell it to a four-year-old and not get in trouble by their parents? What is your speech like? How do you talk to people? Is cursing part of your everyday language or is it something that's foreign from you? You need to put that off. And by the way, we understand that a lot of us before we came to the Lord or before we followed after the Lord had bad speech habits. You could always work on them. You could always work on bettering your speech and communication. By the way, not just with the idea of filthy communication, but you could work on using your words better, wisely, and studying how to communicate truth better. If you're a person where you say, well, I just, people don't understand what I'm saying. Well, then work at your words. You could work on that and God could help you. What is your communication like? Can you speak clearly? Can you speak in a way that people easily understand you? Is it filled with filthiness, obsceneness? Is it filled with bad jokes, garbage jokes? Is it stuff that should not be said at all? What else are we supposed to put off? Verse number nine, lie not one to another. Why? Seeing that you've put off the old man with his deeds. We're to put off lying. We know that in America, that lying is part of our culture. People lie over everything. 
And because it's part of our culture, we as Christians normally don't think of anything wrong with exaggeration, with changing the details, with guile. Can you be honest? We have to work at it because we live in a dishonest society. They expect people to be dishonest. They expect you to lie or promote, cheat on your taxes. It's not uncommon some employers to ask employees to uh, modify time cards or whatnot. It's part of our society of people lying. Whether it's, hey preacher, I'll show up at church. Liar. You know, at least be honest. No, I don't want to come to church. I have more respect for someone looking me straight in the blank face and say I'm not going to come because I don't want to rather than say, oh sure, I'll be there. But again, lying's part of our culture. We lie over everything. And it becomes a thing that there's certain situations that we couldn't even imagine not lying. Server comes out, how was your food? It was horrible. And it was actually good. You just want your stupid uh, to make them miserable. That's not good. You say, why do you do that? Because I watch Christians do that. They'll, they'll, um, they'll plague their servers and their waitresses and the waitresses are working hard for them you know, be careful with how we do. We're to be put off the old man, verse 9. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. Now, the idea of putting off carries the idea we're taking off those old natures, building those habits. Now, we, we gave some specific scenarios, but maybe we could try to make it a little bit more practical. This is a true story. There was a boxer who was an atheist and um, um, very antagonistic, but he got saved. When he got saved, he was um, still a boxer, didn't give up that life, but he started to grow a little bit. And um, (laughs) he had gone to his preacher and said, hey, I got a big fight coming up uh, next week and uh, I'm looking forward to the fight. And the preacher said, well, have you prayed about it? What do you mean about praying for it? Well, did you pray for your fight? No. He says, let's pray now. And so the preacher says, let's pray. He says, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for you saving us. Thank you that you love us. Thank you for uh, how much you care for us. And now next week, this man's got the fight and we're praying that you beat the snuffing out of him, that you just smash his face in, that he loses all of his teeth, that you knock him to unconsciousness, that you just make it so he can't get back up ever again. And the preacher looked up and the guy's looking in horror. He says, you can't pray like that. And he says, then you probably shouldn't be doing it. You know, that's a good test. How do I know what I should be doing, preacher? Can you pray for it? With an honest heart and expect God to bless your prayers? If it's not something you could pray for in a good conscience, then it probably should not be something you're doing. All right, God. I got my mistress on the side. Let me have a good time with my mistress instead of my wife. Could God bless that prayer? No. Then it's probably not an activity you should be participating in. See, now we get very practical now. How do I know what's right? Can you pray for it in a good conscience? If not, then it's something you should put off. Something you should take off. Something that you should probably not be invested in. Again, when we talk about this, some people go, okay, I'm getting it. 
Well, let's see if we get the rest of you. I don't really get the taking off thing. Why is it a big deal? What should I do with it? Here's an illustration. During the great plague of 1665, people didn't know what caused the plague. They were still ignorant of germs and how it works. And they were also ignorant of most basic hygienic precautions. They, they just weren't there. People didn't wash their hands. A lot of the stuff was going on. For example, people in the city would continue to send parcels of used clothing, often the property of the dead. So what would happen is that someone would die of the plague. But because there's not a lot of clothing around, people said, hey, you know what? Aunt Matilda, that was a nice dress that she had. And so you know what? She's dead. She doesn't need it no more. Let's take this dress. And I know Aunt Sally could really use a dress like this. So we'll just take it off the dead body, pack it up, mail it to Aunt Sally. Aunt Sally gets it and says, hey, this is a nice dress. And puts it on. And that's how a lot of the plague was spread in the 1600s during that time, is that they were putting on things that were going to be a hurt to them. During this time, poor relatives and relief agencies were receiving the clothing of people who died of the plague. The families received, they were, thought they were receiving nice clothing, but they did not know that they were receiving death. So the idea put off is like this. I realize I have plague clothing on. When am I going to take this off? It looks nice. I'll wear it just for a little bit. All right. Half of you are germaphobic. If you found that you had clothing that was worn by a dead person who died in it and that they had the plague, you know what? You you putting that thing off. This is what God's trying to illustrate to us. This is dangerous things here, this list. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy. You don't wear it for a while. As soon as you realize that this is danger and poison, you're taking that thing off, putting it aside, and cleansing. This is exactly what God is trying to get across to us with the dangers of the old man. You put that thing off. It's not something you wear for a little while. It is dangerous. Take it off. Get it off as fast as you can. Don't let it stay on. So we see what we're supposed to take off. What are we to put off? Now let's see what the Bible has to say, what we're to put on. What are we to put on? (laughs) Again, God's trying to give us a practical illustration. Every believer has this new man in them. This new man is renewed in the knowledge and after the image of him that created him. We were created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Meaning, what does that mean? We were saved for the purpose of, of working and serving God. Works don't save us, but you weren't saved just to sit in a pew. You were saved to do something with the life that God gave you. This new man is created in righteousness and in true holiness. Ephesians 4. The old man cannot be redeemed. 
If you haven't written that down, please write that down. The old man can't be redeemed. It can't be salvaged. It can't be saved. It can't be preserved. It cannot be redeemed. Its only option is to be put to death. The old man is beyond hope. It has to be put to death with the death of Christ. And it has to be replaced with the new man. In verse number 11 here, it speaks about that we're so completely changed that the dividing lines that were used before are erased. And our old life is over. The only thing that remains is Christ. Notice verse 11. Where, ne- <laughs> where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and put and in all. How do we do this? Verse 10. And put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. So how do we put on the new man? We put our eyes on the Lord and we learn about him in knowledge through practical experience, through our Bible reading, through our prayer and our obedience to him. We learn more about him. So if I want to put on the new man, it comes when I spend time with him. I put on the new man. I spend time with him and he becomes real to me. By the way, if I spend time with the Lord, I don't want to go sin. If I spend time with the Lord, I don't want to go get in trouble. If I spend time with the Lord, I want to do what's right. That's the key is staying with the Lord, being with him and putting on these new things because we've put them off. I don't want to lie after I spent time in the throne room of grace. I don't want to get angry with people when I've had the peace that comes from being with him. We should be so completely changed that it's all about Christ. What are we to put on? Verse number 12 starts us off. What are we to put on? It says, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. What are we to put on? We're to put on goodness. We're to summarize verse number 13. We're to put on goodness. Summarize verse 12, rather. We're putting on goodness. We're to put on these because they're a reflection of God's character. God is good. And if God is good and we are a reflection of him, we will be good. What do we mean by good? Holy and beloved. Bowels of mercies. Remember bowels of the seat of of motion. Are you someone who has mercies? They deserve punishment, but you don't give them punishment. Kindness. Humbleness of mind. Meekness. Long-suffering. All of these are good things that we have to be long-suffering towards people. Christness. Christ-likeness of character. These are the things that we put on and we put them on as we spend time with Christ. The more that you spend time with him, the more you start becoming like him. After I spend time with the Lord, I want to be nice to people. After I spend time with the Lord, I have a patience with people I didn't have before I spent time with the Lord. That comes with a goodness that as I put them on as I spend time with Christ. Verse 12 speaks summarizes is put on goodness. Verse 13 summarizes put on graciousness. Put on graciousness. Notice verse 13. Forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel 
against any. Even as Christ forgave you, so do ye. And one of his sermons, D.L. Moody pictured the Lord saying to Peter. So imagine in your mind, Jesus coming and said, Peter, come here. He says, go hunt the man who has put the crown of thorns in my head and tell him I love him. Tell him that he can have a crown in my kingdom, one without thorn. Find the man who spat in my face and preach the gospel to him. Tell him that I forgive him and I died to save him. Find the man who thrust the spear into my side and tell him that there's a quicker way to my heart. This is how the Lord Jesus has forgiven us. And now it's our turn. We are to forgive others just like that. That Jesus did forgive the man who put the crown of thorns on his head. He did forgive every Roman soldier who took a fist and buffeted him. He forgave every single one of them. And wanted them to have the forgiveness he offered. That should be what we're putting on. Not plotting revenge because someone cut us off, cut us off in traffic. If someone cut you off in traffic and then pulled in the same uh, parking lot with them, are you ready to witness to them? Are you ready to tell them what all stupid things they did? This is the idea that we're to put on Christ and desiring the best things for others around them, no matter what they have done for us. Putting on graciousness. One of the things that we lack is graciousness. If people offend us, we want them to know that they offended us. If people hurt us, we want them to know that they offend us. Graciousness is able to set that aside and still want the best for them. To be gracious to people. Verse number 14, we have another summary. Put on God-likeness. Put on God-likeness. Notice in verse 14. Above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Now, charity is not just love. It's a love that cost us something with no hope of return. It is easy to love someone who's going to do something back for you. But can you love someone, invest in someone, give someone that you know that you're never going to get it back? To spend time on them to know that they're going to turn around and betray you? This is God, Godnessness, God-likeness, Christ-likeness. Christ loved us when we could give nothing back to him. This is the ultimate form of God for us to be able to have charity, to love on people. This is what we're supposed to put on. The word perfectiveness here carries the idea of the accomplishment that God has in view, making us like Christ. How do we know that we've gotten close to Christ-likeness? When we're willing to love people who will never do anything for us when we're willing to invest in people that we know is going to hurt us. And we do it anyways. We have to put on our clothes every day. I'm thankful that all of you decided to put on clothes today. You had a choice and you had to take time. We're not at the place of technology where clothes get put on for you. 
You have to get down and put on the sock and put it up. You have to get the pants, skirt, and you have to put it on. For me, I have to take the shirt and I have to button every one and then put the vest on and button every one and take the tie and put it around. That was all purposeful. I did not wake up in the morning, slip out of my bed and get into a special holder where the clothes just slipped right on. It took time. Some of us getting older, it takes a little bit more time than others. But it took time to do that. Same thing. There are things that we need to take off. By the way, get in a hurry taking those things off. They're going to hurt you. The plague has death on them. But we have to purposely put on these other things. We have to purposely put on love. Lord, help me to love others that are unlovely. I'm putting that on. Lord, help me to have graciousness today towards people that don't deserve it. Help me to put it on. Help me to have a goodness today, just a general goodness. And I put that on. Those are things that are intentional that we put on. You don't put it on by accident. You choose to put it on. Now, remember, all of this comes because we're looking at Christ. This is impossible to do if you're not looking at him. But when you're looking at him and say, I want to be like you. I don't want this other stuff. The other stuff's in the way. Let me take those things off. And on purpose, put this on every day. Put this on to follow after you. Put this on. By the way, you get in the habit of putting on clothes. When you were a little child, you had to be taught. All right, that's how you put on your sock. You might remember those lessons of trying to put on the sock with a kid and trying to teach them the different methods of putting on. Now, there's a lot of methods to put on a sock, especially a big old long sock, right? You got the wrinkle it down and so it's all put together and you put the foot on and then stretch it in. You could do that method and then there's the other one I just don't care. I'm just gonna, you know, but there's some thought to it. But after a while, you don't think about putting on your sock. You just put them on, right? It's a habit that you put on. Most of you did not spend time thinking about putting on your clothes. It was something you put on. Didn't even think about it now. Now we have the same thing. Developing that habit putting on graciousness, of godlikeness, of goodness. And after a while, it becomes a habit. I'm putting it on today. All because I've been looking at Christ. He's the goal. He's the one I want to please. So now we come down to the nuts and bolts. What are you wearing? Are you still wearing the filthiness of the old man? Some of that needs to be taken off. How's your anger? How's your speech? How's your lying? How's your wrath? How's your forgiveness? Are those things that are still plaguing you? Take them off. Look to God and say, God, help me to take this off. Help me to keep it off. And every time I see it on, help me to take it off immediately. Not just to let it linger. It's got to come off. What are you wearing? Are there things that you need to put on? Lord, help me to be gracious today to others. Help me to be forgiving today to others. Help me to be good today. Help me to have a love for others today. Help me to put those things on and develop the habit every day putting this on. Every day putting on goodness, graciousness, godliness. Every day getting the habit taking those things off that are not supposed to be on. What are you wearing? 
Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.